Would you guys remain standing this morning? I know you all just turned around to sit, didn't you? I love it when I catch you like that. You know, when I was waiting tables for years, I used to wait until somebody would have a, a mouthful of food to walk up to the table and ask them, how the, how's everything tasting, right? Y'all, have you ever experienced that? We do that on purpose, waiters do. Servers, yeah. It's, we're taught that in training. And, and though I didn't do that on purpose just now, and they didn't teach me that when they trained me in, 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 in how to be a pastor, it, it worked out pretty good, didn't it? Hey, the reason I want us to remain standing this morning is I want us to read again together this week, as we did last week, the 23rd Psalm. I think it's great to, to not only say out loud these passages of Scripture, but to also hear your own voice and other voices reading these uh, verses aloud as we continue studying this week in the 23rd Psalm. So let's do this together. Y'all ready for it? Here we go. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. You guys have a seat. Awesome. So as you probably just figured out, we're continuing in our series from the 23rd Psalm. It's uh, week three, and uh, just like in the last couple of weeks, week one, we camped out in verse one. Week two, we camped out in verse two. Week three, we're going to spend in verse three. So if you guys want to go ahead and open your Bibles to the 23rd Psalm, uh, we will move around a little bit, catch a few passages from other places, but we will uh, we'll spend the bulk of our time talking about uh, what's going on in verse 3 today. Um, over the last couple of weeks, uh, we've learned a couple of, uh, couple of great things um, from this, this passage, and uh, we're going to continue that today. And I want you to listen today, not just for how much you are like the sheep, not just for how much we, mankind, humankind, are like the sheep, but also I want you to listen and look for how we are to be the shepherd. Because Jesus says that not only are we the sheep of the good shepherd, him being the good shepherd, but also he calls us to shepherd uh, as well, to lead his sheep. And so that's what we're going to focus on today. And one of the things we've learned over the last couple of weeks is that sheep are, um, sheep are, are some interesting creatures, right? Sheep have some, some interesting um, personality traits, if you will. And one of the interesting things about sheep is that these animals are creatures of habit. Now, I've spent a lot of time in the outdoors. I love to fish. I love to hunt. And I've learned by watching animals in the wild and also seeing a lot of domestic animals as well when I'm out um, in the wilds. You know, you see uh, uh, herds of cattle and other, other critters. Animals in general are creatures of habit. But sheep seem to take this to a new level. Sheep will, will do things out of habit that are um, just crazy. They will walk the same trails until that trail turns into a ditch. They'll walk that trail until that ditch turns into a ravine. They will walk that ravine until that ravine turns into a canyon. They will walk the same trail out of habit until they just absolutely wear the ground out. They will, they will feed in the same field. They'll feed in that same field 
over and over, day after day, week after week, month after month, until a field becomes just barren desert waste. They will eat every nub of grass in the field, and then they'll start pawing up the roots to eat the roots. There could be green grass just right over there. But, but they will stay by habit in the area where they are comfortable and familiar. And they will just wear a field out until it is eroding away, until the wind and the rain are just stripping it down to nothing. They will bed in the same bedding areas until those bedding areas become deep depressions where they lay down. They'll start to create first just a little shallow bowl, a little, little shallow depression. Then they'll kind of have a, a deeper kind of concave place. And then eventually they'll just wear it out to where it's big, you know, undulating rolls and, and places where they just nestle in and burrow down and, and bed. And also those bedding areas and feeding areas and trails, they will use them to the point where they pollute them so severely with their own waste that those become toxic environments where disease and parasite can spread readily among the flock. So the crazy thing about sheep, one more crazy thing about sheep, is what incredible creatures of habit they are. And it's for this reason and many more that we've already discussed that sheep do require more care, more oversight, more management than just about any other domestic animal out there. Sheep left unmanaged, sheep left unled, they will go their own way. They will go their own way to the point of self destruction all the way to the point of self-destruction because they're such creatures of habit they'll destroy themselves and in the process of destroying themselves the sheep also destroy the shepherd think about it a shepherd has a significant financial investment in a flock of sheep right not only does he have a significant financial investment in his flock he has significant time and energy invested in his flock. Also, in, in shepherding circles, in places where they farm and ranch and raise sheep, there's a reputation that a shepherd earns by the care of his flock. And when you move in these circles, when you live in these agricultural areas, when you operate in that environment, in that culture, it is important that you have a good reputation as a shepherd. And so a sheep left unled, a flock left unmanaged, will go its own way until it destroys itself, until the sheep damage themselves physically, until they damage the shepherd financially, and until they damage the shepherd relationally by ruining his reputation. See, at that point, no, no other shepherd would trust a shepherd with a bad reputation. And given the option, no other sheep would trust that shepherd as well. Would you agree? So we don't want to be in that position if we're shepherding. The good shepherd knows and understands all of this. The good shepherd knows this. He understands this problem of sheep left unled. And so a good shepherd puts into place a plan. A plan to prevent that kind of, of a flock run amok, right? 
and a plan to remedy that kind of activity if he finds it occurring, either in his own flock or maybe a new flock that he purchases. And so the good shepherd has a plan of action. And his plan of action is broad, but in that plan of action, his best tactic, his best tool that he can employ is simply to keep the sheep moving. Just to keep the sheep moving. To move them from this pasture to that pasture. From from this patch of grass to that patch of grass. From this bedding area to that bedding area. And by doing so, Having, by putting this, this plan of action in place, the shepherd stays at least one step ahead of the sheep, which is critically important. He's got to stay at least one step ahead. Listen, you can't lead from behind, right? If you're going to lead, you've got to lead out front. You can't lead somebody where you yourself are not going. So the shepherd's got to stay at least one step ahead figuratively and, and literally, physically, a step ahead of the sheep in order to prevent this, this kind of destruction. And when he does this, He leads them in the path of preservation. He leads them in the path that is literally their salvation. Huh. I think that's what David was talking about in verse 3. Psalm 23, verse 3. I think that's what he means when he says, The shepherd leads me in paths of righteousness. He leads me in paths of righteousness. He leads me in paths of righteousness. He's leading the sheep in his good plan. And really, if you examine the shepherd's life, the leading of the sheep in this good plan dominates what the shepherd does. It dominates his days and even his nights. Most of his time, most of his energy goes into formulating and executing This good plan, this plan of leading the sheep in the right path, keeping them from their own destruction, keeping them from the rut that they would create in their own life. Somebody defined for me years ago what a rut is, and this definition has stuck with me for years. I was at a, it was a business seminar, but this guy said that most people live in a rut, and, and talking about the, the sheep walking the same trails till they become ruts reminded me of this. He said, you know what a rut is? A rut is a grave with the ends kicked out. I was like, whew, that's powerful. A rut is a grave with the, with the ends kicked out. It's just a big old deep ditch and a grave. So the good shepherd has to lead his sheep in this, this good plan. He has to lead them along paths of, of righteousness And when he's shepherding in a domestic environment with with fields that are fenced, it means that those sheep will spend anywhere from one or two days to maybe a week in one field before he has to herd them and shepherd them and lead them out of that field and into another field. From one green pasture to the next, from one place of still waters to the next, in order to preserve not only the sheep, but also to preserve the land so that it doesn't become worn out and damaged through the sheep and so the sheep don't become diseased and sick because of that worn out and damaged land. And so it's in this path of constant rotation between these prepared fields. A a shepherd in, in David's time, in biblical times, they would have taken their sheep out into the wilderness. Now they may have prepared some green pastures. We talked about that last week. They may have also found a few green patches 
that, that existed naturally. And what they would do is they'd go out and they'd set up a camp, and that camp would become kind of the, the hub of, of their next several months of living. They would live in this camp, and they would take the sheep out maybe to the straight north for the first day or two, and they would graze in this pasture, and at night they would come back into the camp, and after a couple of days of going north, they maybe would go northwest a few degrees, and they'd go out into another pasture. And so they would eventually work their way around, and in so doing, they would give the land time to recover, and they would give um, the parasites and diseases that would be passed along through the waste time to run their life cycle and be clear out of the ground, and they would always have the sheep on green grass on fresh feed. And so as the shepherd leads his sheep from one place to the next along this plan, this path of righteousness, this path of salvation, one of the things that I read about in that book I told you, that I read about the, the shepherd's look at Psalm 23, that guy who lived as a shepherd, made his living as a shepherd, he said something that he saw in his time shepherding sheep was that whenever they went from one field to the next field, whenever he opened that gate and let the sheep into that pen, he said even some of the old cantankerous ewes would act like little lambs. They would walk in, they would see and smell the fresh feed, and he said they would literally jump up and down and frolic. And, and just, they were so excited, so refreshed, so energized by the new place and the fresh feed and the, the good ground and the good grass that their good shepherd had led them to. And I thought that was just a great um, a great illustration of what it's like when the Lord is active in your life, when you're really tucked in behind the Good Shepherd and following His lead, when He leads you into fresh places, when He leads you into new green pastures in your life, fresh revelations. It's so exciting. It's so exhilarating. And it makes me want to stay tucked in behind Him, truly following Him, because I know what that feels like. I know the joy and the refreshment that comes from those new revelations, from those new places, from that fresh feed in my life. And so, here we go. The sheep reveling in that field. And I said it's a great illustration of what it's like for us when we, when we follow the Good Shepherd, but here's the reminder that people really are a lot like sheep. <laughs> we really are. How many of you would agree that you're a creature of habit? I am. How many of you drive the exact same route to Studio B every Sunday? Me too, right? There's other ways to get here, I'm sure. You could, you could come a different route. If you come up Morris, you could come up 2499. You know, I mean, there's just, there's different ways that we could get here. How many of you drive the exact same route to work every day? Most of us. How many of you, um, this may be, I'm, I may be, I'm, I may be, I may be old-fashioned here, I may be dating myself. How many of you grew up in a household where you're, where, where, or maybe you run this household today, where you know what the meal is at dinner by the day of the week it is? That was, for us, Tuesday night was hot dog night, right? Because we had Boy Scouts and soccer practice, so Tuesday night, Mom threw together hot dogs, right? Friday night was pizza night, right? Monday night, eh, toss-up. Could be chicken, could be pork chops. Options were fairly limited, okay? Does anybody relate to that? I mean, I, yeah. My mom was a, was a huge planner, man. She made a menu. She shopped for groceries. She bought only what she needed for the menu. And if my brother and I ate anything in the pantry, we probably just destroyed one of the meals on her menu, right? Anything we, we got. There was never any, any extra. But that's what I'm talking about. We, we live this predictable 
uh, a life, this path of, of least resistance, if you will. We stay with the familiar. We are creatures of habit. Creatures of habit. And Isaiah 53, verse 6, talks about this. He says that we're all like sheep. We've all gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. Whew. We're all like sheep. We've all gone astray. We've all left the leadership of the Lord. We've all left the leadership and gone our own way, pursued our own path. Every one of us is a creature of habit. We've turned our own way. We've led ourselves. And when we lead ourselves, much like the sheep, generally we will lead ourselves in paths of destruction. We'll lead ourselves in, in paths that are not the right paths. We'll follow some well-worn, predictable paths that have been laid out and rutted out by our predecessors, by generation after generation who has come before us. We're prideful. We're self-serving. Ouch. I don't know if that, that convicts me when I... I think about my pride and how my, my, I, I would left my own devices just serve myself. And we pursue these paths in search of some kind of self-identity. Now we're pursuing a path, again, that's well-worn, that's well-rutted out, and we're searching for identity for ourselves and where other sheep have gone. We're looking for comfort along with identity. We're looking for comfort. We're looking for refuge, a safe place. We're looking for comfort and refuge. We're looking for identity. Uh, and we try all of these paths in search of these things. We, we try the path of intoxication, right? I mean, most of y'all went to college. <laughs> the path of intoxication. Let's see how drunk I can get. Let's see if, if I can find my identity in being high. Let's see, how about maybe I'll find it in relationships. Maybe if I have the right friends, the in crowd, right? Maybe if I get in the inner circle of the cool kids. Maybe I can find it in relationships, you know, how many, how many notches I put on my bedpost. Maybe I can find these things I'm searching for in, in different thrills, right? I'm going to go rock climbing. I'm going to go parachuting. I'm going to be a kayaker. I'm going to join this club or that. I'm going to do this thing or that. Maybe we look for it in people-pleasing. You talk about an addiction today. I think that may be like the biggest addiction in our culture, people-pleasing. We don't ever want to be identified as, as somebody who's, who's um, got a different opinion, who has a strong stand on anything. We kind of want to just be able to move back and forth between this crowd and that crowd, between this opinion and that opinion. And we never take a stand for anything. We just want to just kind of be peaceful with everybody and, and just go with the flow. And, and that doesn't always work. In fact, it rarely ever works. How about religion? Some of, some of us seek these things in, in religion. We think if we belong to the right church, the right denomination, if we'll follow the right telepreacher, you know, those guys on tel I'm not knocking the guys on TV just because I'm not on there, but I'm just saying, sometimes you watch those guys on TV preach. Some of it's solid. Some of it's really good. Some of it, if you really get down to the root of it, they're not leading you to follow Jesus. They don't want you to follow the good shepherd. They want you to follow them. Just saying. And we'll get involved in religion. 
And we'll pursue this religion or that religion or this religious rule or law or that religious rule or law and we think that that is the thing that will lead us in paths of righteousness. That will be the thing that brings us the peace and, and the comfort and the identity that we're seeking. Check out Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. Funny thing is, six, Proverbs 16, 25 says the exact same thing. One of the things I found in the Bible is when something gets repeated, it's worth noting. That's worth highlighting, underlining, circling. It's worth putting on your mirror. It's worth memorizing. Okay? That's one that you ought to really take note of when it gets repeated. Jesus repeated a lot of stuff. One of the most common things Jesus said to his followers is, How many times do I have to tell you? Haven't you heard me say? Don't you know it is written? Right? Here's what Proverbs 14, 12 says. There is a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads only to death. There's a way that seems right to you and to me. There's a way that seems right. It appears to be a path of righteousness. It sounds like a good idea. It looks like it's going to get me where I want to go. But, mm, that's a dangerous word, but, instead, it leads only to death. And I have to believe that that really is referring to spiritual death. Not just a physical death. It could lead there too. But it's a spiritual death. It's an eternal death. It's separation from God. When we pursue our own path instead of the path of righteousness that the Good Shepherd is leading us on, we're pursuing our own separation from God for all eternity. We're pursuing hell, literally. Scary thought. In contrast to that, Jesus says in John 10.10, I came that they may have life and have it to the fullest. And in John 14.6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads only to death. Then Jesus says, I am the way. There is a way, and there is the way. The way. Not I am a way to God. I am the way. Nobody gets to the Father. Nobody gets to an eternal reward. Nobody gets to heaven by any other path. Not by intoxication, not by sexual conquest, not by earning tons of money, not by being a great philanthropist, not by joining the right church, following the right pastor, being the right religion. Nobody gets to God except by the way. Jesus is the way. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Who? The way, the truth, and the life. He is the way to full life, to a fully blessed life, to a rich life. Not, as I've said before, an easy life. Jesus said that himself. It's not an easy life, but it's a full life, a blessed life. It's a life of peace. It's a life of security, even in the worst moments, even in the darkest circumstances. It's a life of humility, even at the highest levels of achievement. What a great life. 
What a peaceful life where you don't live the low, low, lows and the high, high, highs, but you live in kind of an even pattern. Yes, you're, they're probably, we're still human. We still have flesh. There's still ups and downs, but it's so much smoother, so much easier on your soul when you live that blessed life, that life of following the way of the good shepherd. He is the way. He is our leader. He is, Jesus is the good shepherd. He leads us to that real life. And if this morning you're asking, how can I live that life? If you're sitting here thinking, where do I get this life? How do, how do I achieve that? Where do I find that, Todd? You're talking about following Jesus. What does this mean? How can I turn off of my own path? How can I get on the path of righteousness that Jesus is calling me to, that he's leading me to? How can I get off of my path of destruction? And it starts with submitting. It's a word that I've used many times over the last several months, really over the last three years, but really in the last several months, the end of last year, beginning of this year, we've talked a lot about submission. It's about getting your way, your will out of the way and getting aligned with His way, with His will, with the, the way of the good shepherd, with the path of righteousness. It's a daily decision. For many of us, it's a moment-by-moment-by-moment decision to choose the Spirit of God over the flesh, the flesh being the way that you have always dealt with life on your terms, on your terms, not on His terms, not in following the Good Shepherd, but in following yourself in these ruts, these rutted-out patterns of living, these rutted-out paths of destruction, following His lead. Jesus described it as taking up your cross daily. Now again, if you weren't here last year when I talked about what it means to take up your cross, think about that. The cross was not a symbol like it is today of something good. When Jesus said this, he's talking to a group of people. Remember, he hadn't been crucified yet. We didn't identify Christianity with the cross at that point. What we identified, what those people would have identified with the cross was death, misery, punishment, horror, nothing good. And Jesus is preaching and he says, if you want to be my follower, you have to die to yourself. You have to take up your cross daily and lug that heavy burden and follow me. But then he said, my burden is light, my yoke is easy. He said that, hey, if you get in line and follow me, it's amazing how light that cross becomes. Again, it's simple, but it's not easy to submit your will to His. It is a big commitment. It's a daily discipline to follow Jesus. If you've made that decision today, if you've made that decision already in your life, or if you're ready to make that decision today, let me share with you briefly as we get ready to close out our message today, seven, you're already thinking, seven and briefly, those don't go together. Hang with me, it won't take long. Seven, seven things, seven attitudes that if you adopt these as a follower of Jesus, if you will adopt these attitudes, and I, I promise you, He will prompt you to adopt these. It's still up to you, moment by moment, day by day, to choose the Spirit versus the flesh. If you will adopt these seven attitudes, 
that you will be following Jesus along the paths of righteousness. Here's the first one. Attitude number one. Instead of loving myself the most, love God the most. And then love others more than self. Instead of loving myself the most, I need to love God the most and still love others even more than I love myself. 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. Jesus says, this is how we know what love is. Or, I'm sorry, Jesus didn't say, he said, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's a hard teaching right there. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we need to lay down our lives for our brothers and for our sisters. Jesus, the good shepherd, gave his life for the sheep. We're the sheep that he gave his life for. But Jesus also said and gave us the commission to be shepherds. And to follow after him, to follow in his footsteps, to mirror what he did, to mirror what he said. We need to be willing to lay down our lives. And I don't believe he's necessarily calling us to physically die. He's calling us to die spiritually, to die to yourself, to die to your own will, your own way, to give up your path to pursue paths of righteousness in him. And as you pursue that path of righteousness, as you love God first, well, frankly, that's the only way you can pursue that. The only way that you can give up your life and lead others is to pursue God first, to love Him more than you love yourself. That first attitude empowers all the rest. All the rest of these hinge, really, on that first one. Loving God most will give you the capacity and the ability to love others more than self and to lead them as he has led you. Attitude number two, be willing to be singled out and different. Oh, man. Remember that people-pleasing I talked about just a moment ago. We don't like to be singled out. We don't like to be different. We like to claim that we like to be different. But if you really have ever investigated, you know, what people do in social settings, if you've ever really gotten into human behavior, psychology and sociology and all of these things, people don't want to be different. People want to be just like a group. Now, that group may be different from another group, and in that way, we like to be different. But in, we want to be accepted by somebody, some group of people that appeals to us or just accepts us. We will adopt their ways. We will go their way, do their thing, listen to their music, dress like they do. We'll do what those people do because we want to be accepted. We don't want to be different. We don't want to be singled out. We don't want to stand out necessarily. We like to be part of a crowd. But Jesus really didn't fit in with any crowd. Jesus, from the very beginning, was very different. He was different from the unfaithful, right? He was different from the pagans. He was different from, from people who had no God, who worshipped false gods. He was very, very different from them. Jesus was also very different from the Jews of his day, from his own people. In fact, his differences were very clear in the New Testament. 
he took some strong stands against the leaders of his religion. In fact, he probably had more in common with some of the pagans than he really did with some of the leaders of the Jewish religion back in the day. The teachers of the law, the Pharisees, he was, he was strong against them. He stood out pretty much everywhere that he went. Jesus didn't do social norms. He just didn't do it. He was a rabbi, a teacher. Rabbis and teachers used to collect the brightest and best of the students coming up through the, the system of education that they had so that they could become followers of this rabbi. And the rabbi's reputation was built through the quality of his teaching, but also the quality of his followers, of his disciples. Jesus didn't find the best and the brightest. He went and called the flunkies, the failures, the broken. He called people like me and you. Okay, I'll leave you out of it. He called people like me. I'm a jacked up mess. And for whatever reason, he called me to lead this church. He called fishermen, tax collectors, rough guys and girls, not the elite of the education system, not the best and the brightest as defined by the social norms. Jesus didn't do social norms. He didn't do normal. He didn't even do the religious rules. Jesus did the will of his Father in heaven, period. Nothing more, nothing less. He said that himself. Everything he did, everything he said, he was just doing as the Father instructed. He was just following what God said, what God did. And he leads to this different kind of life. Wherever Jesus went, whatever he did, people saw that there was something different about him. They saw that he was separate from the other leaders, the other rabbis they had heard. They saw that his disciples lived a different kind of life than the disciples of other rabbis. They saw that this Jesus had a different message. His yoke, indeed, was light. His burden was easy. It was, it was not, head goes backwards, but it's not what everybody else said. It's not what everybody else did. And they were attracted to him. They were attracted to this elevated life. That's my term, Elevation Church, elevated life. I use that term because it's not saying that we're better than those who don't have it. It's simply saying we're different from, we're separated by a decision, a commitment to follow Jesus and to live differently as Jesus lived. And that elevated life, when we go and live it outside of these four walls, we get outside of the flock and the family of God, and we live life elevated through Christ in us, we, like Jesus, look very different from the rest of our culture, very different from the rest of our world. And other people are drawn to us as they were drawn to Jesus. And they will ask you, what is different about you? They may phrase it different ways, but the question is the same. They may say, I see your marriage, and, and I know you guys must not you know, agree on everything, but I never see y'all like fight, fight like my wife or my husband and I fight. I see your kids. Your kids certainly are not perfect, but man, they're well behaved. I see that you are managing your finances wisely. You're not enslaved by debt. I see that you live in peace even when you're going through grief, even when you're going through hard times, even when you've lost your job, even when everything looks like it's dark. You have peace. How do you do that? Christ in me. 
It's the good shepherd. I'm just following him along paths of righteousness. It gives you opportunities as the sheep to also be the shepherds by living differently, by being singled out, by not fitting the culture, not fitting the norms. Folks, there are lost sheep all over Dallas-Fort Worth right now who are dying separated from the good shepherd. They're dying along paths of unrighteousness, walking the ruts, going their own way, because they've never had a great example of a sheep, a contented, well-fed, well-watered, well-led sheep, leading them along the path of righteousness, leading them to the good shepherd. It's, that's our call. That's our mission. That's why we're here, is to be those sheep and to be that shepherd. Point number three, attitude number three. I need to be willing to forego my rights in favor of others. This is denying yourself. Again, this is dying to yourself. This is taking up your cross. This is following Jesus moment by moment, day by day. Jesus himself said he did not come to be served. He didn't come to be served. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, did not come to this earth to be served. He came to serve. He washed his disciples' feet as an example of that servant leadership. He served as a sacrifice for many when he went to the cross. He served as the great shepherd, as the way out of paths of unrighteousness when he rose from that grave three days later. Jesus serves today. He serves our best interest, yours and mine. He serves the best interest of every person who has ever been created in his image and likeness, which is everybody. Everybody. He did not come to be served, but to serve. Christian means little Christ. Christ follower. If we're the sheep, if we're the shepherds in his image, we have to serve, which means putting down your own rights so that you can support the rights of others. Frankly, this is just an awesome way to live if you're married, right? If for no other reason than just to have a peaceful marriage, giving up your rights so that your spouse can exercise theirs. But I have the right to this, and I should have the right to be. Hey, you're right. You have the right to all kinds of things. But if you'll release those rights and serve your spouse, your marriage will be much better. Some of y'all aren't smiling right now. I don't know why. If you'll serve your neighbor and love your neighbor, if you'll serve your enemies, if you'll pray for them, it's amazing what God does in you just by being a servant, by taking on the heart of a servant as he is a servant. It's even more amazing what he does in those relationships with others. As you serve them, as you love them, as you pray for them, as you walk a mile and then another one on their behalf, as you do things for them, God will do things in them that will rock their world and yours. Put yourself on the back burner. Put others in a higher position. 
forego your rights in favor of others. Who are you serving? That's a question you need to ask yourself today. Who am I serving? Am I serving myself? Am I serving others? Am I serving God? Combinations? Do I need to change? Good questions to ask. Whom do you serve? Attitude number four. Got to be willing to be the bottom of the butting order. We talked last week about sheep, how they have social order, and it's the butting order. They like to butt heads and butt each other around. And you've got to be willing to go to the bottom of the butting order instead of being the boss. Most of us are jockeying for position. We want to be at the top. We want to be out front. Jesus was a servant leader, as we just discussed. He was willing to be at the bottom of the budding order, to put others ahead and above. He said, the least will be the greatest. The least will be the greatest. We serve others if we accept that leadership role as a servant. That is better. Trade your agenda for God's agenda. Trade your desires for His desires. Trade your jockeying for social position for the peace of Christ, for the restoration of your soul. Be willing to be the bottom of the budding order instead of the boss. Attitude number five simply is to have an attitude of gratitude. An attitude of gratitude. It is so human to forget all of the great things in our lives, to forget the blessings, and to focus on the hurts, to focus on the hard stuff, to focus on the disappointments, and to be like, why me? Why this? Why that? Instead of being grateful for what we have, we are ungrateful for what we don't have. The opposite of human nature is God's nature in this regard. Be thankful for what you have. Be thankful that God is with you, that He is blessing you. And even if you're not a follower of Christ, by living in this world right now, you still are under the umbrella of protection of God's blessing. Maybe not in every single way, but I promise you, you receive blessings from God. You have protection from God. You don't have ultimate protection. You don't have eternal protection from God. But you have some. And be thankful for what you have, and you should be seeking for more. Be thankful for the financial blessings, for the relational blessings, for your family, for your job, for the gifts and talents and abilities that God has given you. Be thankful that you're alive. Right? Some of you get up in the morning, you read the obituaries to decide what kind of day you're going to have. All right, I'm not in there. It's a good day. Right? Have an attitude of gratitude. Be grateful for what you have and stop worrying about what you don't. Be grateful for the good in your life and stop fretting over the challenges. Stop fretting over the disappointments. Let those things go. Be thankful for what you have. Have an attitude of gratitude. Attitude six. You need to align your will, yourself, with the will of God. Align your will with His will. Jesus demonstrated this when he taught us the Lord's Prayer, right? He said, how should we pray, Lord? He says, pray like this. And part of what he said to pray is, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Praying to God. 
your will be done. So many times my prayers are, God, here's what I want, here's what I need, here's when I expect you to give it to me. Right? Nobody? I'm the only one. Here's what I want, would you bless it? Instead of, what do you want me to do that's, that you're already blessing? Here's what I want, would you bless it? Here's what I need. I know, you're, I know you know my needs, but let me remind you anyway. And here's when you need to deliver this for me. Your will be done. Not your will, His will. Jesus demonstrated this again in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew what was coming. He knew the arrest was imminent. He knew what was on the other side of the arrest. The beating, the suffering, the crucifixion. He knew. And he was sweating drops of blood because he was so distressed by it. And he was praying, God, let this cup pass from me, please. But not my will, Lord, your will. Align your will with his will. By the way, his will is perfect. His timing is perfect. He's never made a mistake. Not in your life, not in my life, not in his existence, which is eternal. Never. Not once. Ever. Perfect. Align your will with his good and perfect will. I believe that's about nine-tenths of following Jesus of living that John 10.10 blessed life, that elevated life, is submitting your will to His, getting your will aligned with Him. Finally, attitude number seven. Follow Jesus, not yourself. Follow Jesus. Follow the path of righteousness. Follow the good shepherd instead of going your own way. If you've made a commitment to follow Christ, then He is in you. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. God in you. That's powerful. Powerful stuff. God is in you. He is leading you. You know the path of righteousness. When you arrive at the fork in the road, so to speak, you know which one is the path of righteousness. And you know which one is going your own way. Follow Jesus instead of yourself. Follow the Lord in paths of righteousness. He will lead from inside of you. He will lead from within so that you can live out the life that He has prepared and called you Four and two. Seven attitudes of a follower. Seven attitudes of a sheep in the good shepherd's flock. Seven attitudes of a shepherd disciple following after the example of the good shepherd himself. I pray that you will adopt these pray that you will live these. I pray that you will learn to submit, to trust, and to follow Him. My Lord and my God, today could be a life-changing, eternity-altering kind of day. You've given us that kind of message in this passage. You've given us 
that kind of message in this whole psalm, in this whole teaching series. You're calling the lost sheep to you. You're calling your flock to follow you closely, to be intimately associated, to know you so well, to trust you so much that we will submit ourselves to you fully, that we will accept your ownership in every aspect of our lives. Father, I pray this morning for every follower in this room to adapt those attitudes, to adopt those attitudes into our lives, into our followership. And I pray, Lord, for those who are here this morning who don't know you in that way, who, who really are not part of your flock, Father God, that you would move their hearts, that you would prepare in them followership, acceptance of your ownership, of your lordship in their life, that they would choose, Lord, to submit to the good shepherd and to follow him in paths of righteousness. Lord, we love you and we just are grateful to be here as your church this morning. We're grateful for the work that you're doing in us and through us. We pray that you'd go before us as we leave today out into our community, that you'd give us a great witness. Father, right now we're going to continue worshiping you. We're going to continue worshiping you um, in song, but also, Lord, with our finances, we're going to bring into your storehouse the tithes and offerings returning to you a percentage of what you have given to us. As I mentioned a moment ago, to live with an attitude of gratitude, to be thankful for the blessings we have. And one of the ways that God gives us to do this, church, is to return back to Him a portion, 10% or more of what He has blessed us with, to be grateful and to show that gratitude as we worship Him financially. And so, God, I pray that you would take this offering and that you would multiply it that you would put it to good work, good use in your church, that there may always be food in your house, that we may feed the lost sheep, that we may lead them as you lead us in paths of righteousness. For your name's sake, amen.